Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. One of my dearest friends is named Shane. He was my college roommate and the best man in our wedding. Uh, over a year ago, we met for beers in a bougie pub in Lancaster. Uh, he could tell that I was unusually quiet and seemed fairly weary. I was. I was at the time grieving three different deaths. My mother, a priest named Peter Moore, who was for me a very important father figure, and a childhood friend named Aaron who had died of a drug overdose. I was trying to seem okay to power through because that is my default. It's what I do best, at least so I think. Um, but Shane, knowing me for so long, saw right through my okayness into something else. He asked what was bothering me, and I said, look, we don't see each other very often, and so I really, really don't want to burden you. And he looked at me with all of the calm solicitude of heaven and said, burden me. That's why I'm here. Well, that's grace, you know. When somebody makes a way where you can say what you have to say and not feel badly about it. And that was his grace to me, his willingness to accept my burdens and to take them in. Well, every Good Friday, we read an excerpt from an antique prophecy written by a Jewish mystic named Isaiah. Isaiah was not a Pollyanna-esque optimist in any way. Instead, he was a prophet of pain, frequently predicting hair-raising calamities for the Jewish people. And yet... Isaiah saved his most agonized rhetoric to describe not Israel as a whole, but to describe the pain of one particular Jewish man. This 8th century BC prophet stared down the corridor of time and perceived one solitary individual crushed by burdens. But these were burdens not of his own making. These were burdens from others that were piled onto his weakening shoulders. In just two sentences, Isaiah describes three different kinds of burdens that were borne by this suffering Messiah. Physical burdens, emotional burdens, and moral burdens. I'd like to speak this evening simply from verses 4 through 5, for they are robust enough for our consideration Isaiah writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Firstly, Isaiah writes of physical burdens, for in verse 4, the text reads, Surely 
he has borne our griefs. You may ask, how is that at all physical? The answer is this. Griefs is a bad translation. The Hebrew word is kole, which refers to physical maladies or diseases. It references something that is aberrant in our own physical bodies. And so this burden bearer whom Isaiah foresees is a sick, ailing man. That's how he's described. Sickness in the Old Testament was perceived as a chaotic result of a world that is out of sync with its maker. And in the book of Leviticus, certain infections and illnesses caused people to become unclean and therefore unable to participate fully in the covenant community of Israel. Sickness was seen as a destabilizer, not only of internal life, but of social life. And yet this individual, from Isaiah's perspective, had no perfect immunity to the ailments of his day. He was infected with cholé, with physical maladies, with disease. Uh, This is, by the way, why Grunewald's famous painting of the crucified Christ from 1517 visibly displays him as infected by the Black Death. It's why Maxwell Lawton's recent painting of Christ shows the Messiah with swords uh, from the AIDS virus. Isaiah predicts that whoever this suffering servant is, he would not only know our sin, but our contagions, our idiopathic infirmities, our cancers, our lack of wellness. Uh, He would be a man of physical malady and disease. So he knows our physical burdens. But Isaiah also writes about our emotional burdens. The text says he carried our sorrows. Carried our sorrows. The Hebrew word for sorrows is makobe. Makobe refers to deep anguish, agonizing grief, and emotional distress. The kind of internal emotional pain that begins to affect you physically. The stuff that makes you unable to sleep or to sleep too much. The stuff that makes you sick as soon as you eat. That kind of emotional stuff and substance. In fact, Isaiah begins this entire chapter by writing that this future suffering servant would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But this suffering servant bears more than his own emotional torments. He carries ours as well. This is a Messiah who feels the same tear-soaked Messiah who wept for Lazarus and wept for those who were weeping for Lazarus. He is made of flesh, not of concrete. Now, some in this room are more empathetic than others. Uh, Some of us are like General Patton in a situation, and we simply just forge through, and we think we'll feel something later in retirement. Others of us feel too much and too easily, and we're hampered for hours, sometimes days, after experiencing a deep conversation with somebody who is especially traumatized or burdened. But here in this passage, we see a Messiah who is in fact not a Stoic, whose heart was neither made of steel nor Teflon, but was built of red soft tissue, a heart that bears the emotional agonies of being a frail, lost, frightened, conflicted human. He bore that for us, bearing our sorrows. Christ is not made of concrete, but of empathetic flesh. He bears our physical burdens. He bears our emotional burdens. And lastly, 
Isaiah writes about the moral burdens that he bears, what scripture calls sin. And this is very clearly the emphasis, the strongest point, the highlight of Isaiah 52 and 53, that what we have in Christ is a sin bearer. It says in verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Isaiah speaks of a man who was stabbed, punctured, pummeled, but unjustly so. Criminals often bear a just punishment for their felonies. That's why occasionally we might be interested in cheering when a Fortune 500 CEO who scalps his shareholders and mistreats his employees when he goes to prison. Well, sometimes they go to prison. They get what's coming to them. But Isaiah's suffering servant is especially odd because he's not a felon nor a criminal. He's never hijacked a plane, nor is he scammed an old man or an old woman out of their hard-earned pension. No, he was punctured, pressed, and punished for crimes he did not commit. In this way, Isaiah portrays the future Messiah, the suffering servant, as a sacrificial figure, similar to Israel's innocent blood sacrifices, those sacrifices killed for the injustices of those who were judged as guilty. Israelite religious practices, you may know, did not permit humans to be sacrificed for sins, but only substitutionary animals, but perfected animals, lambs without blemish. The thought was, you did the crime, but the lamb bears the time. Something to that effect. But Isaiah's prophesied sacrifice was uniquely personal. Personal. This lamb of God is distressingly human. A man without moral blemish, a man with no deceit in his mouth, says the prophet. An immaculate, infallible human. And Isaiah writes that something uncanny, supernatural, even magical occurs when this innocent individual is pulverized. Namely, we, all of us, survive. We recover. We get well. Isaiah writes these soothing syllables, and by his wounds, we are healed. As we know, wounds themselves do not heal us. Wounds are, in fact, the evidence of injury, not healing. This is always the case. Well, almost always the case. But there is something about this innocent man's wounds, these particular wounds that differ from ours. His wounds heal. His stripes cure. His death brings resurrection. That is what St. Bernard of Clairvaux would call the great exchange, that on the cross, the trembling flesh of Jesus Christ bears our sin and we bear his beauty. There is a swapping that occurs. Chastisement falls upon Jesus. Blessing falls upon us. Justice falls upon Jesus. Mercy falls upon us. So that when God looks at Christ, he sees us. And when God looks at us, he sees Christ. And so, friends, why did Jesus die? That is the question for this evening with a biblically clear answer. The shorthand answer is that he died for our sins. Undeniably true. But his death is even more pervasive and affecting. He died not only for sin, but for everything in life that has been malformed by sin. That's Isaiah's point. 
The atoning man mends all things deformed by the fall, our physical, emotional, and moral corruption and difficulty. Or to quote Wesley, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Everything aberrant and awful in this life is borne by the man who was suspended in the air for our sins. Um, He died not only for our sinful malformations, um, he died for it all. This is Isaiah's point. Um, Everything is borne by him, by the one who was stabbed and starved. And when you think about it, that's a lot to bear. All of our chronic arthritic pain, our reoccurring cancers, our manic fixations, our second divorces, our romantic devastations, our unhealed traumas, our black hole depressions, our misspent twenties, our suicidal ideations, our addictive overspending, our pharmaceutical adventures, our sexual dalliances, our noxious words, the gray canyon of our loneliness, our reactive parenting, our paralyzing anxiety, our bodies that were touched by predators, our saber-toothed gossip, our bulimia and anorexia, our grief that cannot be consoled, and our blasphemies that we scream at the ceiling. All of our agonies, the agonies that give us nowhere to rest, nowhere to stand, and nothing to belong to. Isaiah wants us to know that all of that pain from whatever source is not ours alone. The lion's share of the pain was borne by the lamb. In AD 30, Jesus took upon himself a yoke that was not easy and a burden that was not light. It's what he wanted to do. It was the apex of his life, the summit of all his virtues. We, with all of our limitations and liabilities, are what he wanted. On the cross, he took it upon himself, which means there is never a moment in which we are not seen and never a moment in which we are not understood. I'd like to extend an invitation to all of you gathered here tonight. It's entirely optional, but I do invite you to linger after the liturgy concludes, to sit in darkness and in silence. And if you are willing, there is in your bulletin uh, an insert upon which you can articulate and write down your own burdens of whatever sort anonymously. And then at some point after the service, to one by one, come up and place them on the bottom nail of this cross. It's just a reminder, a way to show ourselves that our burdens were taken up by someone else and that either in this life or in the life to come, those burdens shall be unmade by the one who bore them. This is one way of viscerally and deliberately living into the meaning of Good Friday. Friends, tonight the whole creation crowds around a burden-bearing Christ, a Christ who carried it all, who has taken upon himself our multifaceted damage. This crucified Christ beckons us not to manage things on our own, not to muscle up, not to figure out a different plan, not to read a new book for a new insight. Instead, he beckons us to cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. And to cast all our crimes upon him, for he is the only one who can take them away. The burden-bearing Christ invites it. Burden me. That's why I'm here. Burden me. That's why I'm here. 
and in return I'll give you everything I have. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.